0: Well good morning everyone. Welcome to worship. We're glad to have you here. Today is a special day. It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a fun uh, day in the year that we get to recognize the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's the beginning of what some of us know as Passion Week. It's the beginning of the week when Jesus begins, his, it's not begins, but his approach to the cross intensifies in the days leading up to his arrest and crucifixion, and eventually on that Sunday morning where we celebrate his resurrection. So today's a very special day to to remember that and to celebrate that. But what I want us to think about today is not so much uh, the fact that Jesus came to Jerusalem, because he did. Historically speaking, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, that beginning of the week of Passover, way back many years ago in Jerusalem. But but what I want us to think about, not just that he did that, but what it means that he approaches the temple of our hearts. There's a poem written by a, a gentleman named Malcolm Geit. And, and he, he wrote this song, this poem, to remind himself to think about what it means that Jesus approached the temple of his own heart. So listen, listen to these words. This is, this is the, 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 the sonnet that he wrote for Palm Sunday. He says, now to the gate of my Jerusalem, the seething holy city of my heart, the Savior comes. But will I welcome him? Oh, crowds of evil, easy feelings make a start. They raise their hands, get caught up in the singing, and think the battle won. Too soon they'll find the challenge, the reversal he is bringing, changes their tune. I know what lies behind the surface flourish that so quickly fades. Self-interest and fearful guardedness, the hardness of the heart its barricades. At the core, the dreadful emptiness of of a perverted temple. Jesus, come, break my resistance and make me your home. This is the, 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 the celebration we have where we invite Jesus, come, make your home in the temple of my heart. Have your way. And this is not a a, a pompous celebration, but a a celebration where we realize not that our king has come and so all our troubles are over, but our king has come. And and as we know what happens on Monday when he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple and he renews the temple, it's much different than the people of Jerusalem thought. And so is true for us that when, when we invite Jesus to enter into our lives, to come and make his home in our temple, he does something much different than we anticipate. He reverses the things of our heart that we might love truly as God designed us to love truly and to live in the life that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And so as we enter into this time of worship, I want to pray with us and for us that we would have the boldness and the courage to pray that prayer along with Malcolm Geith to, to invite Jesus to, to make his home in the temple of our own hearts. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who reveals, who has spoken and revealed yourself to us. But not only that, Lord, you're a God who has sent your son Jesus into this world to rescue us, to redeem us. And not only to rescue and redeem us from sin, but to to make up uh, to, to make your home in the temple of our hearts. So Lord, as we worship you this morning, as we look to you and lift our voices you and declare the the glory of who you are and the truth of who you are, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our hearts and minds to to not only embrace those truths, but to live in those truths, to walk by faith, and, and to celebrate what you are doing in this world, what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. May all of that be swept up in the mystery of our time of worship with you, Lord, for it's you we're here for. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. We're so glad that you're here, and we'd like to invite you to please stand and join with us in worship.
2: Mark 11, 1 through 10. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage in Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them,
3: word Philippians 2 5 through 8 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. body lay
1: Father, truly we do adore you, you who stand outside time, you who are holy, thoroughly perfect in all you do, in all the ways that you act to us. You are so amazing, and we're aware of the distance between us, that Jesus had to go to the cross, that as the people turned on him this week, Lord, we see our own fickleness of the ways in which we say we're going to follow but then how easily we're distracted and how quickly we get our priorities out of order. For the things we do, the things we say, the things we think that are not pleasing to you, Father, please forgive us. Thank you that you have made a way that we can be right with you and that your wrath can be satisfied because of Jesus. And so, Father, we're here to remember what a holy God you are and to praise you for all of your many attributes hear us now As in prayer we lift our voice and together we celebrate your holiness of each of our hearts. Thank you for your holiness, your majesty, and your power. You are a great God, and we're so grateful to be your children. In Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, amen. You may be seated.
0: Sorry. Well, hey, we're awake now.
1: And children, you may be dis... no...
0: Not yet, almost, but, but close, though. Sorry, I threw us off with dropping my iPad. Hey, uh, kids, you're going to stay here for a minute just because uh, we have something special. We have an opportunity to celebrate someone joining the Fellowship of the Body of Christ here at Trinity. They've said yes to wanting to become a member of the church. And so, Ruth, would you come up and join me up here? Because uh, I, I just wanted to—this is something we celebrate as a church family— Last week, I cut her finger, and she had to sign her name in blood, and just kidding. None of, none of, none of that happened. Um, you know, but, but one of the things that I loved about singing that last song, Holy, 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 is hearing the diversity of voices that gather together, right? Like, it, it, that's what makes it beautiful, not only singing about who God is, but singing as the people of God together. And really, that's what the, the church is meant to be. The people of God are meant to be this unifying, diverse set of voices that come together as one. In First Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Throughout the scriptures, we see examples of things where we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We're, We're called to stir one another on to love and good deeds. There is a sense that God's movement in this world is through his people. And, and, and so, when we talk about membership here at Trinity, we're not talking about joining a, a club or uh, uh, you know some sort of fraternity, but we're talking about the people of God acknowledging their joining together, their intentionality to be the people of God together. And, and Ruth has gone through the, uh, the the new members class with me, and we've had some conversations. She's met with the elders, and she's still saying, "Yes, I want to be a part of what you guys are doing here." And, and it was a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we had some hoops for her to jump through, but she was glad to do it. And so um, we celebrate this, right? This is, this is a moment of celebration in the life of the church where we acknowledge, hey, God has given us another, another part, another member of the body of Christ that comes with their own gifts and abilities, the, the gifts that God has given her, the, the ways he's worked in her life that will uniquely serve the community here, but also the community beyond the walls of this building Because God works uniquely through each and every one of us, just as he's working uniquely through Ruth. And so, Ruth, uh, just, I I gave you the mic, I'm not sure why I gave you the mic. Okay, good. (laughs) Guys, this is Ruth, okay?
1: I can't can't sing or
0: dance. (laughs) I can. You want to see which one I can do? No, no, no.
1: That's I can't keep up with that. No, you can't,
0: you can't. Ruth is someone who has such a servant heart. You'll notice that on the days that we have coffee hour, it's Ruth who's in there in the kitchen making sure that that things are set up so when we come out from worship, we can continue to fellowship together, and it's her desire to serve. She works caring for families at home, uh, so even when beyond her time of volunteering, her her work is to pour out into other people. So I hope that you'll take the time to get to know Ruth, hear her story, her testimony. It's really a powerful one, not because it's already been written, but it's still being written, and she's trusting God along the way as he writes the, the story of faith upon her heart. And so get to know her. Grab some, uh, a meal with her after church today. It's a great opportunity to have a meal with Ruth. Um, but most of all, congratulate her. Welcome her. Help her to know that she is a part of this family, the, the family of God here at Trinity you know, one way that we're going to do that and recognize this is to affirm our commitment together as, the, as members of Trinity. And so if you're a member of Trinity, I'm going to invite you to recite these this commitment, this covenant that Ruth has already seen. We talked about it in the class. Do you remember this one? Yeah. 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 Can you see that? Good. Um, so I'm going to ask that you guys recite this covenant, this, this commitment to do certain things as members of the body of Christ here at Trinity. Would you say these with me? And Ruth, you can say it with it as well. I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward God and other members, and by attending faithfully and regularly, and by refusing to gossip, and by respecting the leaders in authority. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, and by warmly welcoming those who visit and by giving generously, sacrificially, and, and regularly. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, and by being equipped by leaders to serve, and by developing a servant's heart. I will support the testimony of my church by living a godly life, and by living a- inviting others to experience the love and grace of Jesus. I'm so glad you guys were on the ball with that, even when, even when I was not reading clearly. Let me pray and thank God for what he's doing in welcoming Ruth into our fellowship. Heavenly Father, we do. We give you thanks because you were a God who is working in the hearts and minds of people beyond our awareness, beyond our visibility. And that means, Lord, that you are drawing people to you, not, not here to Trinity, but to, to the body of Christ, whether that's here at Trinity or somewhere else in the world, you desire to connect people into the family of God. And we thank you that you have connected Ruth into the family of God here at Trinity. Lord, I pray that those commitments that we just recited would be those that are tucked away in our hearts and commitments that we make uh, with the, the, the utmost desire of our hearts to be faithful to you, to love one another, to, to serve one another, to learn what it means to be equipped and, and called to serve by Jesus, and to do so faithfully as you lead us to. Lord, we just pray your blessing as, uh, upon Ruth as she grows in her faith here at Trinity. May the people of this church support her, encourage her, love her, a- and be a, a source of, um, of, the- of the fellowship of the body of Christ for her, where she might uh, be encouraged uh, to-, to serve you faithfully, to love you dearly, and to walk day by day, trusting you to lead the way. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the work you're doing here, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Ruth. Kids, you are dismissed for Sunday school. Well, as we've mentioned, today is Palm Sunday, and typically uh, one of the fun things we get to do from time to time is have a palm parade with the kids. We didn't do that this year, um, and, uh, and and you know, that's probably a good thing, because I usually get in trouble for hitting the kids with the palm branches, and then they start a war, and then it, it gets all out of whack. But, but nonetheless, whether we have the palm parade or not, I hope we realize that that Palm Sunday is a very important day for us to, to kind of to recognize, right? It, it's the day that the church uh, remembers when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the, on the back of a donkey. But more importantly, it begins the week that, that we sometimes refer to as Holy Week or, or Passion Week, the, the week that leads up to Jesus' crucifixion uh, on the cross. Sunday, we're told Jesus enters Jerusalem on the donkey and visits the temple. Monday, he curses a, a fig tree and, and then cleanses the temple. You remember that story, right? Tuesday, we're told Jesus spends time teaching in the temple and, and confronting leaders that are kind of uh, perpetuating controversies in the people of God. Wednesday, we're not exactly sure specifically what Jesus does, but, but it's likely that he spent more time teaching the temple as was his regular habit, his regular way of, uh, of, of doing things. Thursday, Jesus and his disciples prepare to celebrate the Passover Supper. This is that moment where they institute the Lord's Supper, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, where where he sends Judas off to betray him, where they head off to the Garden of Gethsemane where where where, while he's praying, the group of soldiers come and arrest Jesus, put him on trial. Friday is the day of Jesus' crucifixion, on this day when Jesus dies, the, the, scar, the sky turns dark, the, 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 the curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple rips, tears in two, and, and the, the ground shakes. And, and there's even a, a Roman soldier who stands by and says, wow, this, this man really must have been the Son of God. Right? Later in the day, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, hey, let us bury our friend. And so they take Jesus' body and they lay him in Joseph's tomb, Saturday, the scriptures are silent. We're not really sure what happens on Saturday. We're, we're left to speculate or, or not speculate. We just sit in that silence of, of not knowing what happens on the Saturday following Jesus' crucifixion. But then, but then Sunday comes. Sunday, the, the day of resurrection, the, the day when Jesus arose from the grave and reveals himself first to Mary Magdalene, right? This, this is truly the most important week In the life of the church the the calendar year this week is the most important which gives purpose and reason to everything else of who we are as followers of Christ if Jesus had not come to Jerusalem that Passover if Jesus had not been crucified if Jesus had not been buried in Joseph's tomb if Jesus had not risen from the grave three days later we would not be here doing what we're doing this morning So rest assured, this week is a very important week in the life of the church. More important to just what it means to the church and what it says about who God is, this week is important in what it means for you and for me. See, Passion Week... It's like this long fuse. You ever see those cartoons where there's like a a trail of gunpowder and and it's ignited and then you see it burning and you see people sweating? Like, no, 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 stop it, stop it. There's this long fuse that's lit in Passion Week, right? And it begins to burn in this passage we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at when that fuse actually lights. And it's this moment in which God is teaching us and where we're taught that God fixes this broken world. We've been talking about this idea of a broken world, that that sin is real, that that it results in this evil that is manifest in this world. And, and, And so this world is fundamentally broken. And the passage we're going to look at this morning is seeing that God is going to fix this broken world, but it's going to happen in his timing, in his way, but it will be for our benefit. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 12, and I'm going to pick up in verse 20 and read through to verse 33. It'll be on the screen. You're welcome to pull it up on your, on your tablet if you haven't dropped it and broken it like I just did, or uh, if you have it on your cell phone, go ahead and pull that out. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and heard it said that it had thund- and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, "An angel has spoken to him." Jesus answered, "This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself." He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die heavenly father we thank you for your word give us ears to hear minds to comprehend and hearts to embrace with courage the truth that you declared today through your word we pray in Jesus' name amen well as i mentioned for many of us easter begins on palm sunday right if you grew up in a kind of higher church tradition, such as Catholicism or the Anglican church or a Lutheran church or Episcopalian church, your Easter probably begins on Ash Wednesday, many days ago. And, and, and it begins a season of Lent, which we've talked about. This season of, of, of awareness to the, the, the darkness uh, that is present in this world, not just in this world, but also in our hearts. But both of these examples of the beginning of Easter are really are really declared in man's time, right? These are the things that man uses to declare when Easter begins, not necessarily when God says this is when the fuse will be lit. See, our passage this morning shows us how things change in God's timing. We, we open up with some Greek uh, people coming to the feast to worship at the feast and, and to come and, and they want to see Jesus, Right? And, and if we read this story purely on the surface of it, it seems like Jesus isn't a good listener. Because they come to him and say, hey, these men, these people want to see you. But Jesus responds with like some completely different response. Something that seems uh, not reciprocal of, of the question that, that Jesus had asked. See, the, 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 these Greeks were what we would call seekers. They were people who were truly interested in Judaism, and, and, and they, were, they, were, they were just not fully committed to being converted to Judaism. They didn't want to get circumcised and go through that whole process. But, but they realized that there was something unique about God and his people, uh, the Hebrew nation. And so they would go up to the festival... And, and, and they were probably there because as Gentiles, they could go into the court of Gentiles where, where we're told that Jesus cleansed the temple. So, so maybe they had been there. We don't know if they were there when Jesus cleansed the temple, but it's possible. They would have seen what Jesus did. They would have heard his teaching. Maybe they were there uh, or they had heard about what happened to Lazarus and how Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead after being dead for four days. Who knows? We don't know specifically, and that's, that's the interesting thing about this, because uh, apart from these very few things that we know or could speculate about these Greeks, John records very little of them. In fact, John records nothing else about them. Now, is that because there's really nothing else to know about them? I, I don't think so. I think that there probably is more to know about them why, we, why were they seeking Jesus or or what did they want to say to or what did they say to Jesus if they ever got a chance to see him? But John records none of that. Why? Well, my guess is that that wasn 't the point that John was trying to to bring to our attention in in recording this part of jesus 's life. See John uses his gospel to highlight not just that the Greeks are, are signaling but but what The significance of their seeking actually points to, right? After their request in verse 21 where they say, sir, we wish to see Jesus, we read Jesus' response to his disciples. and, And it seems kind of disconnected. Look at verse 23 with me. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, something special is happening here. The hour has come. The fuse has been lit. Something very special is happening here Now if you've read the Gospel of John From cover to cover you, you may have noticed a theme in the Gospel of John Numerous times he talks about The time has not yet come Or the time has come Or the hour is not here Or this is, uh, th- th- this is not yet my hour Right? It's kind of like if you've ever gone on a long car trip with kids a- Apart from I have to go to the bathroom what's the, what's the most common question they ask When they're in the car Are we there yet? Exactly You've all heard it, apparently. And it's, it, it, it's what's happening here in the Gospel of John. Time and again, John records these moments in the life of Jesus where someone is saying, are we there yet? And Jesus says, it's not yet time. W- when they're at the wedding in Cana, they, the party runs out of wine. And so Mary turns to Jesus uh, and, and, and asks him to help. To which Jesus says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. A little side note. Jesus is eternally wise. But men, don't quote him out of historical context. Don't refer to your mother or your wife as woman. It, it, won't, it won't end well. See, when, when, when his disciples are eager for him to perform signs and miracles in the New Testament, Jesus tells them, my time has not yet come. When when he does perform miracles in the Bible, there are are circumstances, there are situations where he tells a person, don't tell anyone what I've done here. Don't tell anyone who I am. Why? The hour has not yet come. In in John chapter 7, when Jesus is teaching in the temple, and his teaching angers the Pharisees, we're, we're told this in verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Now, let me just say something about this verse. This is not the Pharisees saying, oh, we can't arrest him yet because his hour has not yet come. They don't know when his hour is. What this should tell us is that God is orchestrating something. God has a timing of when he's going to accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. And it even influences the hearts and minds of Jesus' opponents. They couldn't even arrest him yet because his time had not yet come. They don't determine Jesus' fate. Jesus determines his own fate in cooperation with and obedience to the Father. This happens again in chapter 8, and again, no one arrested him because his time had not yet come. Only here in chapter 12 does the minute hand on the clock reach 60 and a new hour begins. And the new hour is Jesus' glorification. Time, and again, people ask Jesus, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. Come to find out it, it, is, it is God who determines the time. God's going to fix this broken world, but it's going to happen in his Timing. So the question we should ask is, what's so unique about this situation that would make Jesus say, the hour has come? What about these Greek individuals coming and asking Jesus to see, or coming and asking to see Jesus, would make us think that that there's this new hour that's unfolding? What about the Greeks coming to Jesus tells them, it's time? Well, our answer is found in verses 31 and 32 of our passage. Jesus says this he says now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out and when i am lifted up from the earth he's talking about his death his crucifixion when i am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die now in this present moment now not in the future not someday He's not saying, my hour has not yet come. He's saying, now Satan will be defeated. Now Jesus will make a way for there to be a clear separation of good and evil, dark and and light. But it's the Greek people seeking Jesus out that signals that his time has come. Why? Well, because God's love is not just for the nation of Israel. God's love is for the world. God desires to, to, to draw people from all nations and ethnicities and languages to himself, to, uh, to the Father through Jesus Christ himself. So by all people, he means all those who would look upon the, the, the resurrected Jesus, the glorified Son of God, and be attracted to him, be drawn to his life, to desire a life like his, To trust him. God would draw all people to himself through his son, Jesus. Through what Jesus would do and accomplish through his death and resurrection. Christianity is not an exclusive religion. God's love is for all people. Later on in the New Testament, Paul will teach that there's no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. But all are one in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that we, uh, that we lose our identity as, as, as Americans or Guatemalans. Or, it doesn't mean that, that there's some delineation between males and females that, that, that's no longer there. It means that God's love is meant for all mankind. And it's found in one source. See, the people of this world are meant to converge in God's love, to come together, to be drawn not to what they think love is or what they think love is or or what this group of people defines love and truth as, but to see that the definition of love and truth is found in one source, Jesus Christ. And that's where God intends the whole world to converge into one in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's intention... Is to do this in his timing, which is signaled by these Greeks, these people outside the people of God, coming and seeking him out. the The time is now. That there is now this time where where God is revealed to the Son that that people beyond the nation of Israel are beginning to seek the Savior out. They want to know who Jesus is. They want to they want to learn about him and learn from him, and so. Jesus says, now, now is the time. Is this man's timing? No, it's not man's timing. It's only in God's timing. And so not only does God enact his plan to fix this broken world in his timing, but also in his way, right? One of the things I think as a a married couple— one of the things I hear time and again is a situation where a husband and wife are trying to resolve a situation, a, a, a circumstance, the wife is upset about something. What does the man want to do? He wants to fix it. And what's uh, oftentimes felt on the receiving end by the woman, well, you're not fixing it because you're not listening to me. You're not paying attention. You're not, right? the, the, my wife oftentimes wants to be heard, and, and, I, <laughs> and I oftentimes want to fix What's, what she's facing, take away the pain, right? But, but the problem is, and I'm just using marriage as an example, but the problem is the situation won't be resolved because I'm trying to fix it. The issue with our broken world won't be resolved because we're, we're serving more people or doing more kind things or, or showing people love, but because God is going to fix this world in his way. He alone knows how to fix what has been broken. Man may have broken it. We may have turned our backs on God, but God alone who created us knows how to draw us back to him and restore us in relationship with, with him and make us holy and set apart from sin and evil. See, Jesus tells us that his hour has come. But for what? For his glorification. This is the way in which God is going to fix this broken world, through Jesus' glorification. Something of a prayer he declares in John 28, where where Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice is heard uh, from heaven. It's the Father's voice who says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it, Again, this idea of glorifying something, it, it's, to, it's to radiate its honor. It's to radiate its, its majesty. I mean, you, if you like to cook with garlic, you radiate the glory of garlic for the next three or four days after eating it, right? As, as, as the Son of God, the Father has sent forth his Son to radiate the glory of the Father to this world to make him known, and and not just known mentally, like uh, academically, but to to know him fully. And it's only in the Son of God can we know the Father as clearly as we do. We know that, that Jesus looked to his death on the cross as the path through which he would be glorified. Somehow, his death would radiate the character of God. But this leaves us with a question, doesn't it? How does Jesus dying a a cruel death on a cross radiate the majesty and the wonder of God? How does beating a man within an inch of his life, mocking him, spitting on him, abandoning him, how does that radiate the heart of God? How does that radiate the glory of God? Well, the cross is where we witness God's great love for us. The cross is where we witness Jesus' love for and obedience to the Father. At the cross, we see God's justice in not allowing injustice and evil to go unpunished, even if it means that he himself would bear the weight of the penalty of the evil that justice requires punishing. At the cross is where we see God's grace, and in, in taking upon himself our due penalty. Right? God is gracious to say, hey, Dan, you don't deserve this, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna substitute myself for you when it comes to being disciplined, or punished for your sin. See, this is not at all how we might imagine our hero being glorified. Right? If, if we were to imagine our hero's glorification, it, it would be some last-minute victory where good overcomes evil, but doesn't actually have to suffer at the hand of evil, right? It would be like in Lord of the Rings. I don't know if you've watched, um, the I think it's the Two Towers, where all hope is lost, right? The people of Rohan are, are like kind of trapped in this cave, and, and they've got the evil orcs that are attacking them. And, and at the last second, the sun dawns, and, and Gandalf, the great wizard, comes riding over the hill with an army, right? And, and you see the sun rise behind him, and it's just this glorious moment where, where good defeats evil. Right? Like if, if we had to choose, this is how our hero would be, would be glorified in victory, it, not in defeat. But well, that's how we imagine glory, isn't it? To our human eyes, Jesus' glorification seems horrible and, and, and tragic. And then, like any way we would expect it to be. But, but God has a different plan. Because somehow the Son of Man is glorified, is exalted, is lifted up for all to see through his death and resurrection. Verse 24 of our passage, we're told, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We talked briefly about this verse last week. So the glory of the wheat is seen in the harvest of wheat that it produces, right? This one grain, it could, it could remain alive and remain alone, or it could die, be planted in the ground, and raise up a harvest of wheat that reflects the glory of that one seed, See, in the same way, Jesus' glory is seen in his obedience to the Father through his death and resurrection because his life is multiplied into the lives of many, many people for generations to come. His life is still being multiplied in our lives. We are a part of the harvest that comes from Jesus' death on the cross. In, uh, Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, and being found in human form... Jesus' death leads him to be the first fruits of those who are living in a new life, the life that God has given us. And it's all to the glory of God. God's glory is seen in him defeating death on the cross and in him being raised up to new life so that we too might be raised up to life with him and be a part of this fruitful harvest. This new life, this new creation emanates from the Father. It has its source in the Father. A- a- and, and it radiates his character and his reputation. Right? Jesus says time and again, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The Son can do nothing unless he sees what the Father does and does likewise. Right? Time and again the scriptures speak of the Son of God being like the, 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 the Father. And so we know the Father because we know Jesus. And in Jesus' life, we become like him, and we become like the life of of the Father. Right? See, this has been God's plan from the very beginning, that his creation would be a harvest of fruit that would reflect his glory. You remember in the garden when God places Adam and Eve there? What does he, he tell them? He says, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, let let the glory of God expand and radiate out of you my creation. Let it cover the earth. Let it have dominion over the earth. But that's not Adam and Eve that has dominion over the earth. It's the glory of God that has dominion over the earth. The problem is Adam and Eve turn their backs on God. They disobey God. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sin and death enter into our world. And no longer is mankind able to be fruitful and multiply to be a a fruitful harvest of the glory of God because of sin. So when the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, then the hour has come For this grain of wheat to fall into the earth and die so that it may raise up a harvest of new life. Where it may draw all men, all people, all mankind to himself. See, Jesus' death is the seed of a new creation in himself. a, a, A fruitful harvest that grows and expands and radiates the character and the beauty of God throughout all the earth. Church, Jesus' horrific death on, the, on a Roman cross may, may not be our way of, uh, of glory. It may not be the way we glorify someone. But, but thankfully, this broken world isn't going to be fixed in our way. It's going to be fixed in God's way. But that's not all, because if it's true that this broken world is going to be fixed in God's timing and in God's way, then it's also going to be true that it will be fixed for our benefit. Take another look at verses uh, 27 to 28. Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled. Are we there yet? Yep, now. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. This is the reason why I'm here. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I don't think we put those verses up on the screen. I apologize. I'm I'm like reading my notes and realizing I don't think I gave them these verses. Anyway, you heard me speak. Let me I'll read those the the, the last verse again because I think it's important. That, that Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, when I'm crucified, when I'm exalted, I will draw all people to myself. See, the pressure that's been building over the last 12 chapters culminates in Jesus' crucifixion. The, 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 the fuse was lit when those Greeks came to Jesus, seeking him out, and, and, and by Friday... The fuse will meet the, the source of, of ignition or the, the explosion, and, and there will be a, an explosion of pressure that we witness on the cross. And it's for this very reason that he came. Right? One of our favorite passages, verses in the Bible to, to memorize is John 3, 16, where we're told that God so loved the world. Right? He sent his son with the purpose that's driven by love. But to accomplish his purpose, Jesus would bring judgment upon the world. He would bring uh, judgment through his death and resurrection. Here in John 12, Jesus says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Earlier in in his gospel, uh, John records this for us in in chapter 3, verse 19, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and, and he says, this is what the judgment is. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Jesus' death on the cross is a a defining moment for this world. Either you will believe that there is light and life in Jesus Christ, or you will continue to walk in the darkness of your ways and the evilness of this world. Jesus, his death and resurrection is a defining moment where judgment comes upon this world, where there is possibility for there to be a division between the people of this world, those who love the light and those who love the darkness. We know that love by their deeds. See, through Jesus' death, sin and Satan, darkness and evil are condemned. Through Jesus' resurrection from the grave, life and truth and goodness and righteousness are upheld so that a harvest of new life would follow that's that's benefiting you and i we have this opportunity for hope for new life for for a chance to to reflect the glory of god would you when you think about your life would you rather reflect the glory of what you see and know is in your heart or would you rather reflect the character of a gracious god who spared nothing that he might do away with evil and and be with you and I. Whose character do you want to radiate? Whose glory do you want to, to, to radiate to this world? See, the judgment that Jesus brought upon the world was to condemn evil once and for all and to uphold the light of life found in him according to the Father so that Jesus might draw all people to himself as the light of the world. That's that's to our benefit. That that, that Jesus has a way of drawing us. He's not not enticing us like a a piece of bait on a, a fishing hook. saying, come and get it, right? And then we have to swim over to eat it. Jesus is actively drawing us to him. God is working in your world, in your life. He is working in your heart. Even if you don't see it, he is drawing you to him. You will either resist him, or you will allow him to continue to draw you in. You will say yes to the light that you see when the light comes. It may not be a complete revelation of who God is, but it'll be that little thing along the way that says, yeah, I think I I need to go. I think I need to follow. I think I need to say yes to this burning in my heart, to this truth that that, that I've heard or read in the Bible. I need to explore it more. And so you... Go closer and closer, kind of like in uh, Star Wars when, when one of the, is it Star Wars or Star Trek, when they get caught in the tractor beam, right, and they're, they're pulled in? Star Wars. Thank you, Star Wars. <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it and then use that as an illustration next week. God is working his plan to fix this broken world, and it's in his timing. It's happened. It's in his way through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, and it's for our benefit That he might draw not just you and me, but all people to himself through Jesus Christ. Church, a a, a fuse has been lit in these Greek individuals seeking Jesus out. God's plan to draw all people to himself is is now burning. And it's burning as the the week of uh, of Easter unfolds. And it's going to culminate on Good Friday when Jesus cries out, It is finished. See, I I think this week is a sacred week. A a time to to treat unlike any other time that we face in this this year. This week should be a sacred week. You should face this week and and follow the rhythms unlike any other week you face throughout the year. Do things differently. Consider that this is a, a gift from God this week. It's a time to consider what God has done for your benefit, for my benefit, in sending Jesus to this world. So, so use this time wisely. Read the scriptures around Jesus' last week in Jerusalem. Each of, the gosp- each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record something of the last week of Jesus' life. John's is very brief, but, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a little bit more detail around the last week that Jesus lived. Meditate deeply on the truth that God is drawing all people, not, not just all people, but you to himself. Another thing you can do this week, join us on Thursday evening. We, we've got a special service of Shadows where there will be, uh, it, it'll be more contemplative in nature. We'll be reading scripture and, and just following along the narrative along the way to, to, to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. It'll be seven, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Join us for that. Let this week be a sacred time for you. God wants you to draw near to him through faith in Jesus and be a part of this fruitful harvest that he is growing. See, God's plan to fix this broken world is already happening. It's happened in his time. It's happening in his way. And it's for our benefit. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you you are always working. Lord, the scriptures teach that even when when we sleep, you continue to watch over us, to to orchestrate your plans in this world, to bring them to fruition. Lord, I pray not just for today, but for the week to come, that this would be a, a, a week that we truly set apart as being sacred and holy that we, we kind of live different, different rhythms that allow us to pay attention to, to what you've done and what you're doing. That, to pay attention not to the way that we think we should be saved from sin, but to pay attention to how your way, your ways are above our ways, beyond our understanding, and yet they're true and good, and we want to trust in them, Lord. So help us to make this week sacred Unique and different from any other day or week that we face in this year. That we might notice you, Father, working things out in your timing and in your way. That we might also embrace the benefit that you offer us in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.